0: John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. He has made him known. Let's pray. My Father, what what a true joy it is to gather in your presence on this day in which we celebrate where you made this happen. Where in your divine wisdom, you made a way for sinful men and women like us Broken men and women, rebellious men and women could be reconciled to you, a holy God who had made us for his own glory. And you made that way by causing your son to become one of us, to live as one of us, to live the perfect life we couldn't, and then to be sacrificed on the cross for our redemption. And raised three days later for our justification. Father, we worship you this morning for this precious gift. And as Matt prayed earlier, all the things that we do today and the coming days, gathering with family and friends, eating feasts, giving and receiving gifts, and all of the joy and celebration that that will entail is but a glimpse of the joy that we have, because you have sent your Son so that we might be reconciled to you. Father, we pray that as we spend time in this passage out of John chapter 1, that Father, those among us in this room who share that faith in Christ might be encouraged in our faith to continue to persevere this day and all throughout the year. And that we pray that those who are among us perhaps our family and friends that have come with us, are sitting next to us, that have not professed faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would grant them repentance of sins and faith in Jesus as their only hope. Would you reclaim them as one of your worshipers so that they might give glory to you, the only one who deserves it. We pray that you would do this for your glory And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean that the Word became flesh? Why would the Word become flesh? And why would the Word come to dwell among us? Before we begin to answer any of those questions, we we have to come to grips with the fact that When John uses the word word here, it's a reference to Jesus. John is describing for us his description of the incarnation. And he uses the word word in the Greek, the logos, to refer to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in doing so, he tells us a lot about Jesus There's a lot that we could say about these first 18 verses of John chapter 1. We could spend an entire series on that. But there may be a few more gifts to open, and so we won't do that this morning. But I want us to just highlight seven things that John tells us about Jesus. Seven answers to that question, what child is this? What child is this? Well, first of all, we're told that he is God. Jesus is God. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what? The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so if Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God, then friends, Jesus is God. The writer of Hebrews agrees. He writes in Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. The Apostle Paul agrees in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then just a few verses after that, that, Paul writes, It was the Father's good pleasure that all of the fullness of Him might dwell in Him, in Christ. All the fullness of what it means to be God dwells in Jesus, this child in Matthew chapter 1, as we just read, Matthew quotes from the prophet Isaiah and says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then he explains what that word means, what that name means God with us. God with us. Jesus himself said in John 10, I and the Father are one. When we say that Jesus is God, we are not saying that Jesus is the Father. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all co-equally divine. The Father is God, and Jesus, the Son, is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father doesn't become the Son. The Father is the Father and the Son is the Son. But the Son changes locations from heaven to earth. And then about 33 years later, back up to heaven again. As he says in verse 18 here, I think that verse 18 encapsulates this. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, speaking of Jesus, has made Him known. So that's the first thing that John says about what child this is. He is God. Jesus is God. And that's good news that this child is God. Because as God, He is perfect and and He is sinless. And only a perfect, sinless sacrifice could atone and cover over the sins of sinful mankind. The second thing that John says here of this child is that he is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Not only will he always exist in eternity future, but he has always existed in eternity past. At Christmas, we do not celebrate, we we, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We don't celebrate the beginning of Christ. Bethlehem is not the, the beginning of Jesus. It is simply the birthplace of Jesus. It's where he took on flesh. Because He is God, He had no beginning. As we read there in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, like the very beginning, before there was a heaven or earth or a sky or a sea, anything, He was. The babe in the manger is none other than the eternally preexistent Son of God. I think that should change how we Look at Christmas. I think that should change how we look at the nativity scene. We have all kinds of nativities all over our house. It's become something of a tradition for us to collect them as we travel. We've got them all over the place. And all of the nativities have one thing in common. That is that the, the babe in the manger is the center of those nativities, right? Mary on one side, Joseph on the other, the shepherds and the wise men flanking them on either side. Maybe there's a, an angel in the sky or a star hung from the barn. The animals, the camels, the donkeys, the little lambs are all facing what? They're facing Jesus. He is the centerpiece of all focus and attention. And, and I suppose in one sense, that's not unlike any scene in any of our homes when a newborn baby is brought in. They're the center of attention. They're the the focus of everyone's gaze. Understandably so as we focus on this precious miracle that is this baby. But that's only part of what's going on in the Bethlehem nativity. Not only is this a precious miracle baby, this is the preexistent Son of God in human flesh. No wonder the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What child is this? He is God. He is eternal. Thirdly, he is the light. We're told here that he is the light of men. John writes in verses 4 and 5, in him was life, and that's a reference to eternal life. Eternal life was in him, and he says, and the life was the light of men. Or we could read that the hope of men. That life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. A few verses later in verse 9 he writes the true light. John the Baptist was not the true light. He He was a light that was come to bear witness to the true light. But he says the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Darkness represents man's ignorance of God. Darkness represents man's inability to to know God because of his sin, because of his rebellion against God. We don't know what God is like and we can't know Him because of our sin. So ultimately, darkness represents our hopelessness in that state. And light represents hope. Jesus, as the light of men was to be the hope of men. Apart from Jesus, we are all in darkness. Apart from that Christ child coming to earth, we are all in the dark about who God is and what he's like. No light and no hope. But by John, we're told here that the light of the world has come into that darkness. and The darkness (laughs) has not overcome it. And that hope was because God had become one of us. And that's the fourth thing that John tells us here about this child. That not only was Jesus fully God, but he was fully man. I I can't fully wrap my mind around the beginning of verse 14. And the word became flesh. If if we can fully come to grips with that, we're probably lost sight of what the word is. The eternally preexistent Son of God became flesh. He became one of us. Literally, He enfleshed Himself. That's what the word incarnate means, to, to put on flesh, to become a man. He became one of us, and that is tremendously good news, because now, as one of us, He can be a sacrifice for us. Only the sacrifice of a fellow man could atone for the sins of mankind. But not only did He become one of us, but fifth, John tells us that He dwelt among us. Literally, that word means that he tabernacled among us. He, he pitched his tent among us. He lived with us. in all of the mud and mire of what it means to be one of us. Jesus came to earth. He became one of us. He put on flesh and he, he dwelt among us. He, he lived as a man among other men. He knows what it's like to live as a human in a fallen world just as we do. He knows what it's like to feel pain because he felt it, physically, emotionally, and all the rest. He understands hurt and suffering. He understands rejection and temptation. He understands all of what it means to be tempted, but he doesn't understand what it means to sin. The writer of Hebrews writes for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin he can sympathize with our weaknesses do you have weaknesses jesus can sympathize with them that is so good news that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. He, He wasn't in an ivory tower looking down on us. He became one of us. He came down to us, put on flesh, and lived among us. And he felt what we feel. He experienced what we experience. He endured what we endure in this life in a fallen world. He knows what it's like to live as a human in a fallen world because he did it. And he experienced every aspect of that except for the what it's like to sin against God. Sixth, John tells us that Jesus reveals God's glory. Verse 14 goes on to say, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory is the Uh, In in the Greek is the New Testament word doxa. Doxa means glory. And and, and what it it refers to is the sum total of what it means, means to be God put on display. The sum total of all of God's attributes and all that it means to be the sovereign of the universe made manifest. That is the glory of God. And that's why Jesus That's why John says here, we have seen his glory. We ought to recall there the scene from Matthew 17 when when Peter and James and this very same John went up to a mountain with Jesus and there he was transfigured before them. He showed his glory to them. And what did that look like? Matthew records it in Matthew 17 too, and says, He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. It reminds us of the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. The, the glory, the brightness that shone on Moses' face after he had been in the presence of Yahweh. It's like the glory of the Lord that shone around the angel as we talked about last night as as they appeared to the shepherds as they watched over the flocks by night outside of Bethlehem. But we're talking here about the glory of Jesus. The glory of the Logos. The glory of the Word incarnate. But John tells us again that the Word was with God and the Word was God. So get this. Church, when we behold the glory of Jesus, we are beholding the glory of God. Wrap your mind around that. When we behold the glory of the Christ child, we're beholding the glory of the sovereign of the universe. In Jesus, we see displayed the sum total of all of God's attributes, his love, his grace, his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection, made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. How can we possibly turn our face away from that? Right? How can we give greater time and energy and focus to the things of this world when we have the privilege of standing in the presence of one who is the very glory of God. Church, this Christmas, for a moment, let us turn our focus and our attention away from the presents and the gifts and the lights and the food and all of that long enough for us to truly behold his glory glory as of the only son from the father and then john finishes that phrase that verse verse 14 with full of grace and truth and that's the seventh of these things that we learn about jesus here he's full of grace and truth i find it incredibly revealing and just utterly amazing that when John here sets out to describe the glory of God in Christ, what comes out of his mouth is he's full of grace and truth. Those are the two words that John uses to, to try to describe the glory of God in Christ. He mentions the glory of God in Christ. He says, we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And then it's as if John is searching to try to encapsulate a summary of what that means. And he says, He's full of grace and truth. He's full of truth. Jesus, as the Logos of God, is the very embodiment of truth. He not only speaks truth, he not only tells the truth, he is the truth. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the very embodiment of truth. He is truth personified, but he's also full of grace, and that's good news. He's full of grace. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. What we deserve, we know. We deserve judgment. What we deserve because of our rebellion against God, because we have turned to our own way instead of God's way, because of our sin against God, what we deserve is his wrath, his judgment against that sin. But through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, he paid for that. We don't get, by faith in Jesus Christ, we don't get what we deserve. Instead, we get what we don't deserve, and what we don't deserve is forgiveness and reconciliation and justification. And these are ours only because he is full of grace. Because this Christ child is full of grace, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But why? why did god become man think about it what do we know of god he is holy and perfect what do we know of us we are not holy and we are not perfect we are sinful we are broken and we are hopelessly stained with sin why in the world would a holy and perfect god want to become one of us two reasons and this gets to the very heart of christmas two reasons why god became man one to reveal god to man to reveal himself to us john says that jesus is the word the the logos of god and that name for christ the the logos the word of god has to do with god revealing it's a word of revelation and our God has always been concerned with, with revealing himself and making himself known to mankind. He wants to make himself known. That's why he creates. His creation reveals to us himself and what he's like. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And when he created mankind, he created us in his image. Why? Because he wants to show forth his image and reveal what he is like to mankind. This is also why he gave us the scriptures, the word itself, so that he might show us who he is and what he's like. And this is good news that that God wants to make himself known and reveal himself to us. But God is most fully revealed and most perfectly revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. Now, in this Christ, we have a revelation of God, not just in His creation, not just in His Word, but in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. As we noted earlier from Hebrews 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. As we quoted from the Apostle Paul, he is the image of the invisible God. And as John says here in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. He's made him known. So God sent Jesus to show us what God the Father is like. God God reveals himself to mankind in the person of Jesus That's why God became man. But secondly, God became man not just to reveal God to man, but to redeem man to God, to redeem us back to himself. The ultimate reason why God became man, why God the Father sent God the Son to come down here and put on human flesh and live among us as one of us is to redeem us. As Tim mentioned last night in the children's sermon, it was so powerful. In Galatians 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law. That's us. That we might receive the adoption as sons. He became man, He became one of us to redeem us as His sons and as His daughters. The angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew 1:21 and said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. From Luke 2, as we read last night, the angel announced to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a saver, one who saves. He is Christ the Lord. And Jesus says of himself in, John, in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save because we needed saving and we couldn't save ourselves. He came to redeem because we needed redeeming and we couldn't redeem ourselves. We needed a Savior because we were hopelessly lost in sin and death deserving of God's wrath we needed a redeemer because we were enslaved to sin and under the curse of death and so he came to do just that to save us to rescue us to redeem us from sin and death to himself the bible says that we all need this salvation because we're all sinners and we can't save ourselves we need a savior we need a redeemer a rescuer to come and accomplish this for us and that's what Christ did. Some of you in this room have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you have not. And if you have not rede- been redeemed by Jesus, then you still need to be. You need to be redeemed. You need to be rescued. It may not feel like it. may not seem like it. But you are lost, not just in this life, but in the next And you are headed for a Christless eternity. And you can't save yourself from that hopeless predicament. The Bible says that only those who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope will be redeemed in this way. Only those who come to faith in Christ for rescue, who put their hope and trust for rescue and redemption in Christ alone can be saved. So my question for you is, Will you keep trying to earn your salvation or will you trust that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished that for you? Will you come to faith in Christ this Christmas? You can if you place your faith in Christ alone. And friend, if you're here and you're a brother or sister of mine, Jesus has redeemed you, then praise God for Jesus. That's really what Christmas is about, praising God for Jesus, praising Him as God because He is God, worshiping Him as the eternally preexistent Son, glorifying Him as the, as the light of the world and the hope of, the only hope of man in our darkness thanking him for condescending himself to put on flesh and become one of us and dwell among us and magnifying him for his glory and being full of grace and truth this babe in the manger that we behold today this christian is your king and mine and one day he's coming back to take us home let's pray our father this morning we We wish to express our utter thanks and gratitude to you for the greatest gift ever. We will open lots of gifts and we will express thanks and gratitude to those who give those gifts to us. But Father, this morning, we thank you for the gift that you gave us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ the eternally preexistent Son of God whom you sent from heaven on that first Christmas morning to leave the confines of your throne, to put on flesh and become one of us, to experience life in a fallen world and all of the pain that that means, to go to a cross in our place, to die the death that we deserve, to take on us, to take on Him the penalty that we deserve, that we owe, the death that we owe, and to breathe His last as a sacrifice to redeem us and to reconcile us back to You. Father, for those among us who don't know You in this way, we ask, Father, that You would Grant them repentance of their sins and faith in Christ alone to trust in him as their only hope. We ask nothing less than you would redeem worshipers for yourself. And Father, for those whom you have redeemed, remind us today again, Father, that that's who we are. We are worshipers. We've been reclaimed as worshipers of God. Now we can do that which you created us to do in the first place, which is to give you glory. For we know that you deserve it, not only for what you did, but for who you are. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And today, we wish him a happy birthday. We pray in his name. Amen.